You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast for all things advertising, communications, and marketing. Today, I have with me Martin Waxman, who is a digital communication specialist, leads social media workshops, and conducts AI research. He's a LinkedIn learning instructor, co-founder of two agencies, and president of a consultancy. He's also a past president of CPRS Toronto, a past chair of PRSA Counselors Academy, and a member of the Alin PR panel. Martin teaches digital strategy and social media at the Schulich School of Business, McMaster University, U of T's School of Continuing Studies, and Seneca College, and regularly speaks at conferences and events across North America. Martin is the 2019 recipient of the Institute for Public Relations Makovsky Best Master's Thesis Award and the 2020 recipient of the CPRS Outstanding Achievement in PR Award. He has a Master of Communications Management from McMaster Syracuse Universities. Welcome, Martin. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Ted. Great to be here. And you know what? You said LinkedIn leaning. I guess I am kind of LinkedIn leaning, even though it's LinkedIn learning. LinkedIn leaning learning. You know why? Because I use LinkedIn a lot more these days. And that's something we can talk about later in the interview, why I do that. So tell us a little bit about your origin story. We always want to know where our superheroes come from. And you clearly have all the origins of that. So I just want to hear about that. I don't know about superhero. I'd never look great in a cape or tights, but there's a quote that I really, really like, and it's by Edward Albee, the uh, U.S. playwright, and it says, sometimes you have to go a long way out of your way to come back a short distance correctly. I really like that. And so my original roots like, were in entertainment and writing. So I was a TV writer and producer. I wrote a couple of books. And um, the show I was working on was canceled abruptly. I had one young son, another child, a daughter on the way. And I thought, okay, I can't do this anymore. What can I do? And so I had done a little bit of publicity work. And so I started a publicity consultancy, just hung out a shingle, bought a computer, got an internet connection and uh, just got a fax machine too and an office because, you know, in those days you actually needed a real office and just called up everyone I know. And one thing led to another. I started doing more publicity work. Then I met someone who had an agency who said to me, hey, you know, what do you do? I told him, he said, that sounds like what we do. And then he asked me what I build. And I told him, which was quite low, but it was entertainment publicity. And he said, are you effing crazy? I can bill you out at five times that. Come work for me. Come work for me. It's like, yeah, okay, sure. After going back and forth, they became a client. I started working there. Then I started my own agency. We specialized in consumer product goods, so had some pretty big and interesting clients. And I got interested in social and digital media around about 2004, 5, 6 with blogs and Twitter. And I couldn't get my clients 
to shift to social and digital. They had U.S. agencies for that. They just wanted us to do the same thing we'd always done, which was media relations or publicity events, influencer stuff, although we didn't call it influencer stuff back then. And so around 2010, 2011, I sold my shares in the agency and started doing digital and social media consulting. And around that time, I also started teaching social media, something I'd been talking about. Never thought of myself as an instructor. So it kind of fell together at once. And then I started to get more interested in teaching and went back to school myself. So I recently took a master's degree. In fact, I graduated just over two years ago. And so now I teach at various institutions, as you mentioned, not all at once, you know, course here, course there. I do digital marketing and digital strategy consulting for clients, social media consulting. And I also am a LinkedIn learning instructor and I do research on AI and where artificial intelligence intersects with marketing. So I don't write the algorithms, but I kind of focus on the relationships that we'll uh, be having with machines. And that's basically who I am and how I got here. So you can see that long way out of my way to come back a short distance correctly, whereas now I do, most of my work is writing. So there you go. What's it like to be an instructor on LinkedIn Learning? That sounds like a fun thing. Oh my gosh, it's one of the most fun things I can do. It's one of the most fun things I do. I wanted to say rephrase because, you know, when I'm recording videos for LinkedIn Learning, that's what they say. You make a flub, just go rephrase and then say it again. So it's ingrained in me. No, it's fantastic. I uh, work with a content manager to develop the idea and outline for courses and then worked with producers to actually bring them to life. They're located in Carpinteria, California, LinkedIn Learning. So different than LinkedIn. Carpinteria is between Ventura and Santa Barbara, right on the ocean. Beautiful place. They've got a great studio. They fly you out there. You record your courses. They produce them, you know, then they start promoting them. Of course, that changed in uh, 2020. I was there in January 2020, last time I was there. But they've adapted like so many other organizations. And now I've been recording courses using this fantastic headset that you see me wearing now. This is what they sent us and doing them remotely with two screens. So I'll have the producer on another computer listening and watching me. I'll be recording and that's how you do it. Not as fun as going out to California, but still, hey, no travel time. And it works well for a series course I do for LinkedIn, which is on digital marketing trends. So Every couple of weeks, there's a new video. So actually, for that one, I've always been recording remotely. But it, it is so much fun to do. How did you get into that? Did they just call you up? I wish I could say that. No, a, a very good friend of mine was doing courses for them. And I guess they said to her, hey, do you know of anyone else who might be interested? And she thought of me, had to do a pilot. So come up with an idea for like a three-minute course, do a pilot, record it, went back and forth. It took quite a while. Now, if you want to be an instructor, they actually have a formalized process on the LinkedIn Learning site. You just submit an idea, your credentials, and they'll get back to you. But it's really interesting because what it's done is it's increased my network because I have learners from around the world who are 
interacting with me, connecting with me on LinkedIn, and it it's fantastic. It also paved the way. I do a, a newsletter on LinkedIn. I don't think they're beta testing it anymore. I think it's available to a lot of people. But the newsletter goes along with a digital marketing trends course. And oh my gosh, I get so many interactions and comments. It's fantastic. It's like the early days of blogging. You know, people are commenting, they're agreeing, they're not agreeing, they're spamming me. I, I enjoy the spam too. I do delete them because, you know, if someone just puts, hey, check out this link for good deals on whatever, it's like, okay, I get that you're trying to do that, but no thank you. But all the other comments are fantastic and some agree, some disagree. And it's, you know, like great to have a dialogue. What kind of tips can you give folks when it comes to LinkedIn? I think a lot of folks that are in the marketing space kind of get a little bit lost and confused around how to use LinkedIn properly and not spam. Yeah. You know what? It's interesting. I think it starts with your profile. And to take the time to fill it out properly. So make sure that you've got a decent shot of yourself. It doesn't have to be like you in a suit, but it should be decent. I've had some students who for LinkedIn had a shot of themselves in a bathing suit surfing. It's like, okay, you know, sure, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, if you want to present yourself that way, that's not really the ethos of LinkedIn. So headshot, and then a good cover photo, the landscape photo that tells your story visually. And that's so important. So many people don't do that. So don't do something where, you know, you have these crappy stock photos. Try to make it a photo you've taken. It doesn't have to be super perfect or anything like that, but it should just reflect who you are and your story. So on my LinkedIn profile, and it's a photo that took me, oh my gosh, probably two hours to do. It's of this bookshelf behind me, but straight on curated books. I So I tried to put books based on my interests. There are fiction books, there's comedy books, there's, you know, books on writing and business. And I took that photo. And so that that's my cover story. Because again, a little bit more of who I am. And then make sure you fill in the about section. Again, something that so many people don't do. Who are you? Think of it as almost like someone stumbles on your profile and they say, hi, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. I like to recommend that people write them in the first person. Just tell your story. Because again, as you're looking down, you've got profile image, you've got the nice header, you've got the stuff that you've done, and then who are you? And something that a lot of people still do is they put as their title, their current job. Well, that's sort of a waste of real estate because your current job's logo is listed on your profile anyway. So use it as an opportunity to share some keywords about what you do that helps you become searchable, also tells a little bit more about you. You are not necessarily only your job. You're a whole bunch of other things, a whole bunch of other skills. And then, you know, fill in your profile and share content on LinkedIn, comment on what people are saying and comment beyond great posts, you know, or thanks or congratulations. You want to add a little bit and then start curating or creating content. And pretty soon you'll find it's a lively place. Honestly, I used to like Twitter the most, and I still do like Twitter a lot, but I find I'm getting so much interaction on LinkedIn. So check it out, test and learn with it. And then when you do get a new job, 
make sure you turn on the notify your network. Don't have that setting turned on all the time because what happens is you could be playing around with your profile or updating it or just changing something. That happened to me a long time ago when I was changing my title when I had my agency from president and co-founder to co-founder and president. And it blasted out to my network that I got a new job and I got all these congratulations from people. It was so embarrassing. So make sure you use it a little bit strategically as a way of letting your network know when something happens. An award, new job, some kind of milestone. When you talk about the creating content aspect, that is something that I think a lot of folks don't do on LinkedIn. And it might be a little bit daunting for folks. So what are your suggestions there? How do you create content and curate, I guess? Well, you know, it's funny. Most of the content that I do on LinkedIn is curated. So that's either resharing people's content, but a reshare with a comment, because then that person will notice you. It's a great way to build relationships. What I do is... I. I've always been a news junkie. And these days it's digital marketing, social media, and AI. So I read, I don't know, probably a dozen stories a day. And some of those I'll want to share. And what I do is I use a platform like AgriPulse to, uh, man, um, so that I can share the content to multiple platforms. Usually I cross-post to Twitter and LinkedIn, but as I said, I'm getting way better reaction on LinkedIn. And just, you know, a sentence or two or three as to why you think it's important, a short summary. You don't have to write long, but just why is this relevant? And you share it. And hopefully people will start commenting back. And like everything, it takes time. But, you know, if you combine that with commenting on other people's posts or resharing other people's posts, that really helps. Then you can get into some of the longer form content, you know, writing an article on LinkedIn, which is essentially like a blog post. And if you do write for other sites or write, you know, a blog, you can uh, syndicate your content on LinkedIn too pretty effectively. So those are all ways of doing it, but you know, it takes time. One, oh, one thing I do want to say, and when you connect to someone, always send them a note. Now you get a prompt from LinkedIn, add a note, just hi, so-and-so, I met you at this conference. Thanks for the great lecture you gave my class, really enjoyed your writing on so-and-so. So for example, I read blog Spin Sucks by Jenny Dietrich every day. I know Jenny. We've been friends for a long time. And on Mondays, they have a guest post. So there was a great guest post that someone did just yesterday, I guess. That is a long weekend, you know. The timing is crazy. But it was a great guest post on what this person learned starting her agency, looking back. So five rules for starting an agency. I thought it was great. So I shared it with context. I tagged the person. And then I liked the post so much that I thought, I'm going to connect to you. So I sent the person a note on LinkedIn, connection request. Hi, I really enjoyed your post on Spin Sucks, which chances are she would have seen anyway because I'd already shared it. Add a bit of context on who I am and how I'm connected to Spin Sucks. Boom, you get another connection. And so all of that is building relationships, which is the essence of marketing and communications. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Now, I did take a chance to peruse your own articles in which you published, and the one that you just very recently published was on something, a topic that is, I think, very new to most folks, which is on NFTs, non-fungible, fungible tokens. And I wanted you to talk a little about that. You you also talk about, you know, Kurt Vonnegut and Philip Roth and whatnot. I thought that was kind of a neat way to segue in. What What is your take on that? How do you put that fun back into fungible? Fungible, actually. Fungible. Fungible. It's one of those words that's kind of fun to say, non-fungible tokens, and yet no one really knows what it is. What I try to do in my LinkedIn articles, or in this case, the newsletter article that uh, you're referencing, is tell a little bit of a story. So rather than just saying, okay, today let's talk about non-fungible tokens, which are a way of buying and collecting digital assets. So the assets could be a GIF or GIF, could be video, could be a piece of content. So for example, I think, well, I, not I think, Jack Dorsey, the one of the co-founders of Twitter, sold his tweet, his first tweet for something like $3.4 million, a ridiculous sum of money to pay for a first tweet. But someone can now say, hey, I own Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Now, Owning it, does that mean you take it off of Twitter? No, it's still on Twitter. Everyone can see it, but you have a certificate that says you own it. It's actually a great way for brands to connect with their customers because, you know, you can offer a digital version of a product that people can collect. You can offer it as an incentive or you can get money for it. Charmin offered digital toilet paper. I prefer the real thing, but hey, it was. It seemed to do pretty well. All of these are minted like cryptocurrency on the blockchain. So there's a digital signature, there's a value to them, and you can collect them or trade them or buy them or sell them, whatever you want to do. So you, you see that, okay, I want to buy, say you guys do a non-fungible token of this podcast. That'd be great. Yeah, someone wants to buy it. I don't know who that person would be, but maybe there's someone out there willing to spend five or 10 bucks on it or maybe more. And so they buy it. That doesn't mean this podcast stops being available for people to listen to. What it means is you have a certificate that you can tell all your friends, bragging rights, hey, I own that podcast or I own that digital file, the original digital file. I have mixed feelings about the whole NFT landscape, part of me thinks this is really great because it's a way of collecting certain, you know, digital assets. And for artists, it's fantastic. There's one artist, his name is Beeple, and he sold a digital collage for something like $59 million. Okay, I kind of get that. That's a digital collage. You could actually have a screen in your home that looks like a piece of art and have that there. Yeah, I, I, I do get that. And it's number one. And people have always collected posters and posters. You know, there's lots of them. Maybe it's signed, but lots of people have it. It still has a value. But I'm still unsure about where this is going to go. It's something marketers should certainly be watching. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I think NFTs are interesting. And you're right. It's a really great way for artists, especially in the music world where so many really don't get as well compensated they used to prior to the digital landscape change. Um, you know, Kings of Leon were the first band that put out an NFT for their album. And I think they, they grossed a couple of million dollars that way. Rob Gronkowski, NFL player, also did some stuff on NFTs. And I think that's a, another way of, you know, monetizing something new. I am also in your camp, though, you know, like back in the day, maybe I grew up, you know, reading Andy Warhol and postmodernism. But, you know, the whole realm of how can you have this original digital copy? And I think we could talk about that till the cows come home and maybe hopefully increase the value of our NFT for this podcast. But maybe let's move on to something different. You talked about machine learning, AI. Wanted to see your take on it, given you're at that cusp right now. And you're, while maybe not the guy programming the algos, you're understanding it more. And, and what's your insight there and how can it help those of us in marketing? Well, I'm excited and also a little scared about AI. The part I'm scared about, though, is not the Arnold Schwarzenegger robot coming to destroy us, at least not yet, because we're nowhere near that. And I think what I am scared about is the fact that so many algorithms have bias built into them. So if it's a facial identification algorithm, you know, they're trained on the data set that they have. And if it's all white male faces, well, that algorithm's going to have trouble identifying, you know, a woman or a person of color. And if it has trouble identifying someone correctly and it's being used for security purposes, say screening at, a, at an airport, you're going to have a lot of misidentification and you're going to have a lot of issues, either people not being identified or being you know, thought to be doing something nefarious or criminal. And that's bad. Privacy is another thing that kind of scares me. All this data about ourselves, it could fall into the wrong hands. So those are things I think we really need to be concerned about now, as opposed to, you know, what we see in movies, which is really more of a general AI, general artificial intelligence, when machines can transfer between tasks. And you see that on Westworld, for example. The hosts are kind of like a general AI or the movie Her, where you have, you know, the operating system voiced by Scarlett Johansson. That sounds 
better than most humans, let alone better than most bots out there. And you have a quasi-relationship with it. So that's where we're probably heading, but it's going to take a long time to get there. And, and as marketers and communicators, we need to understand where we are right now, which is narrow AI. Narrow AI does one task better than a human ever could. So for example, if you think of Alexa, for example, you ask Alexa a question, Alexa will give you an answer and it knows more than most people. But if you ask Alexa how to bake a pie, Alexa can bake a pie. And then you say, okay, Alexa, bake it for me. Well, that ain't going to happen because Alexa can give you answers but can't do something else, can't transfer. Same thing with some of the algorithms like AlphaGo or AlphaZero developed by DeepMind, which Google owns, that bested the absolute top Go players in the world. Well, it's great at playing Go. It's been trained on that. It plays it better than the best human player. But give it a game of Monopoly and say, okay, Go, now play Monopoly. It's like, it doesn't know. So it hasn't been trained on that. So you have to retrain it on another data set. So that's really important for us to get our heads around. So ethics, privacy, bias, important issues to be concerned about, what AI actually does. And it just makes predictions based on statistics. So if you don't know statistics or never took it in uh, college or university, take a statistics course or read a book. I read one not too long ago by a guy named Charles Whelan. It's called Naked Statistics. And it's fantastic. It's really funny. Easy to understand examples, entertaining, great sense of humor. Never thought I'd say that about statistics, but it explains the principles in ways that help you understand, you know, what's a regression line? What does that mean? You don't become an expert in it, but at least you understand the terminology. And and once you do that, you'll start to understand what algorithms can do well and what they do poorly. I'm excited personally about natural language generation. So that's where AI is doing writing, but it's, it's still not great. It's getting better though because of all the developments and the training on data sets. So for example, one of the state of the art natural language processing or understanding algorithms was created by OpenAI, GPT-3, trained on 175 billion parameters. Essentially, it read the internet. Now, when you read the internet, there's lots of good stuff on there. There's lots of bad stuff on there too. So an AI train like that, if you ask it to write copy, sometimes it's pretty good. Sometimes there's stuff in there that you go, whoa, that is not safe for work or it doesn't make sense. It doesn't tell the truth either because they don't filter for truth. They want to mimic us. But it's a great tool for a first draft or if you need to come up with ideas, you give the AI a prompt. It gives you all these ideas. You have to still filter through them. Don't expect it to do the heavy lifting. But because it sees patterns that we may not necessarily see, it can present things in a way that's new to us, and then we can reshape that into hopefully something that makes sense for our customers. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Do those programs already exist? Is it something that the regular marketer can tap into, or is it still where you know Google is putting it in their labs right now? Like, where? How can we access this? Uh, both, actually. And in fact, there is a great Canadian startup that got in touch with me. They use GPT-3. They recently 
got a lot of venture capital funding. It's called CopySmith, C-O-P-Y Smith dot A-I. Fantastic. Oh my gosh, try it out. And you'll see when you start it, you go, oh, wow, this is really good. You can write ads, ad headlines, for example. Um, Meta tags, they'll generate great meta tags for you. Ideas, you want to write about something, give it an idea. They even have an event news release platform. And I, I, I often do this at conferences or virtual conferences. These days when I want to demonstrate, you know, how far AI has come, you put in the event, the date. I usually try to do the date in the future, who it should go to. And I get the audience to give me the name. So I just type that all in. They see it, press generate. And in about 20 seconds, there are, I don't know, 10, 12 versions of a news release. Some of them are pretty good. Some of them, as I said, it makes things up. So you'll see a great quote by a spokesperson. Well, this quote is made up, but the spokesperson doesn't exist. You know, they made up a name and a title a for made the up person. Name. Yeah. So again, you don't want to just send that out, but as a starting point, fantastic. But we need to be aware of that and also aware of how it's going to change our jobs. I don't think AI is going to completely replace us, but it's going to change our jobs. Certainly it does on the analytics side too, you know, with what Google's doing and what you can do with uh, Google Analytics, for example. When people say that creative is supposed to be the last frontier where the robots, as it were, we're not going to take our jobs. But from what you're telling me, you know, stuff like CopySmith or this poetry generator is possibly creeping into, at least on the copy side. And then there's other AI that's making art. So where do you see marketers staying at the forefront and not having their, their jobs taken away, as it were? Well, I do think it's a collaboration because the AI produces is not ready for prime time. It's really a curiosity now. You do this, and it's like a parlor trick, too. You know, you say, okay, I write a news release, boom, it, it does it. And it's better than what people expect. And so because it's better than what we expect, we go, whoa, this is magic. It's not magic, it's predictions based on very, very sophisticated algorithms or formulas. And, you know, predicting which words work together. I mean, if you can read all of Wikipedia, for example, you're going to be able to predict with some reasonable certainty which words fit together where based on, you know, what's being said. Do you understand it? Not necessarily, but you know, can predict it. So I think really it's going to be humans plus machines. And there's been books written about that too, that it's going to be more of a collaboration, whereas a machine does a lot of the heavy lifting. If you think about a brainstorm, how many crappy ideas are generated there? We get a machine to help you generate those crappy ideas quickly, and then you have more that you can go through but we still need our creativity, our strategy, our empathy. Machines can't empathize. And I think that's a problem with chatbots these days. You see so many organizations have chatbots and they're really disruptive. So you land on a website and you just get there and you're trying to get your bearings or find what you were coming to uh, discover or look for. And all of a sudden, usually from the bottom right, this little bot pops up saying, hey, can I help you? What are you looking for? It's like, whoa, you know, give me a break. I just got here. Kind of feels like that salesperson at the Gap. 
Yes, it's exactly what it is. It's that person that doesn't let you walk around and then strike up a conversation. It's funny that you said that. My dad uh, used to have fabric and drapery stores, and I grew up in retail. And one of the things he always said to his staff was never, when someone enters the store, don't ever say, can I help you? Don't say that because people will say, no, just looking, or they'll feel really self-conscious and leave. What he said is, let him come in, say hello. Just that's it. So simple. Hello, you know, have a look around or just hello, I'm here if you need me. Whatever it is, just a small thing. Then watch them. And after a while, they get comfortable. You go, oh, yeah, I noticed you've been looking at the walls. Well, we just got some new ones in from, you know, the UK. Do you want to see them? Oh, yeah, I might. You know what I mean? And that's where chatbots have a long way to go. Sounds like you're describing interns, though, Martin. I mean, you know, oh, crappy ideas that are not safe for work. They're, uh, you know, obsessively just, can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? So how do interns break into the industry then when senior guys like me and you are going to just try out these programs? (laughs) That's a great question. I've never thought of it as interns, but I think you're right. AI is now like a bad intern. Oh my gosh, that'd be a great title for a book. AI, the bad intern. But I think for younger people, what you need to do is you need to be able to provide even more value and show your worth. So everyone's entitled to crappy ideas. Oh my gosh, in brainstorms, my goal used to be to come up with the absolute worst idea of the brainstorm and hopefully a couple of good ones. But when you have that as your goal, it means that people hopefully lose some of their self-consciousness about coming up with their own bad ideas. Because, you know, two bad ideas sort of remolded a little bit can become an amazing idea, potentially. But I think interns need to show us that they understand where we're heading. So they need to understand, you know, what algorithms can do. They need to know how to play around with the tools, test the tools, hopefully guide the people they're working for. It's no longer, you know, you're an intern, you learn from me or you, Ted. It's like, it's a two-way street these days. So if if they bring their perspective, they also have an understanding of their audience, like their generation. That's so much different than my understanding of their generation because I'm a little bit older than them or a lot older than them. So that's great too because suddenly... It reshapes your perspective on how to reach an audience successfully. And unfortunately, for too many years, too many senior people in marketing and PR would say to young people, no, no, that's that's not the way it's done here. Oh, you want to do it digitally? No, that's not the way it's done here. We do a direct marketing campaign. We print all this stuff and it's beautifully designed and glossy and we have a little keychain in there because people love keychains in the mail and then we send it to them and wait for the customers to come in and you know younger people would say well we just throw that away we just recycle it we don't even open it no no that's how it's done so i think senior people have to listen harder i think you're right i mean even with some of my clients that come to me who in their own right, in their industries, are have been very successful. 
And then when they come to us going, exactly that. I actually had someone say, no, I'm going to do a direct mail campaign. We're going to put something you know, squishy and crunchy in an envelope because that's the old marketing technique. I think somebody had had once uh, told the world in, in one of those marketing books. And that's what they want to do. So how do you... How do you get folks to change their mindset, the ones that are on the senior end of the marketing spectrum, to get them to consider these new tech and and consider that this is going to help them and it's kind of that new way of doing things? Well, one thing, you can't just say, you're full of crap. That doesn't work anymore because then you'll get into an argument. So there's a couple of things. One, you can say, you know what? You're full of crap. I refuse to do it. You want to do it? I'm not working with you. And that sometimes works depending on your relationship and how the client perceives you. If they perceive you as this kind of artiste type that, you know, can say whatever, that might work. Most times. That has never worked for me. Yeah, me neither. (laughs) But I've heard stories. And then clients just, you know, walk away and you're prepared for that. I think what... I would try to do is say, yeah, you know, that's interesting. Why don't we try a little experiment first before we spend on this money to see if we do this, but there might be another way that we can supplement it to reach other people. And that could be a little bit of research, you know, something even as simple as a poll on social media to get it started. Maybe an experiment trying something on, could be TikTok, could be on Twitter, Instagram, you know, whatever social network you feel the customers are on. And then you spend a little bit of money, test the results, and then say, hey, we tried this. And look, it really gave us great ROI. So with this direct marketing, chances are you'll reach the older part of your audience. It's really expensive. Why don't we shift it so that we do, you know, X, do this, direct piece, really target it to the people who may want it, produce less so it costs you less. And then hopefully with all of that, you'll get better results. It's it's hard to shift some. Some people will say, nope, I want that package because they like to have that, you know, thing in the mail. But oh my gosh, these days I get a piece of direct mail. It's like, what do I do with this? Insurance brokers still send you calendars. And that's good if they were like beautifully designed or nice calendars, but crappy desk calendars that they were sending out 30 years ago. I've got my calendars digitally. No, thank you. I I don't know what to do with this thing. Wow. Calendars. I haven't gotten a calendar in the mail in some time. So I guess you could make a collage out of them and turn them into an NFT. Yeah. Or I need a new insurance agent. (laughs) Well, that's the other thing. If you do the marketing in a way that's annoying, people might move, right? They might move along and go, hey, this is really not worth my time. Yeah. So, okay, let's move on to our rapid fire round. This is a, how do we get to know Martin a little bit? It's pretty safe for work. And uh, you ready? Yeah. First thing that you marketed. Oh, that I would say I marketed, it was a Saturday Night Live 25th anniversary book. So that's when I started my publicity consultancy. That was my big client. I had a huge budget. This is for six months of 5,000 bucks. Wow. No, a lot of money. for public. <laughs> So a lot of it was publicity. But what I thought was Saturday Night Live is great. 
DJs want to talk to people. So I was able to get Don Pardo, who was their announcer, to record these little trivia questions that we sent to DJs and they played the answers. And that was, kind of, I thought, kind of cool for that little bit of money. Did you ever meet Lauren Michaels? No. In fact, nobody from the, I didn't meet anyone from the book except for the publisher. Well, it's something. Fries or onion rings? Fries, definitely. Curly fries or regular fries? Regular. I'm a purist. Me too. Donuts or cake? Donuts. And sometimes cake, but it depends. I'm allergic to nuts, way too much information. So it's hard for me to eat either unless I know who baked them. Favorite superhero? Batman, I think. Best place you went on vacation? Okay, this is a tough one because I've been to so many great places. Japan. Any particular place in Japan? Yes, Tokyo and Kyoto. Actually, Kyoto was probably the best. What an amazing city. Tokyo has an incredible energy and is so huge. Kyoto, even though I think there's 20 million or 18 million people in the greater Kyoto area, it seems more easy to get around. And it's quite a magical city because you've got the old and the new. You have a shopping mall next to a shrine. It's just like, whoa, incredible. And the food is really great. Favorite dish you had in Japan? That would be sashimi, something I never had eaten here because so much sushi and sashimi is made with sesame seeds and I'm allergic to those. And they made it for me. It's like, whoa, again, my palate just exploded. Best marketing book you've read? Oh, that's a really tough one. So let me think about that for a second because these days I read a lot of books on AI. You Look Like a Thing and I Love You by Janelle Shane. It's a book on what AI is and does. It's, again, really funny. Janelle Shane is a researcher who writes a blog, AI Weirdness, AIWeirdness.com. And that tone of voice is in there. So it's kind of fun to read about. She's got these kooky illustrations. So that's one. Can I give you a second book? Absolutely. Everybody Writes by Anne Handley, who is uh, one of the chief writers at Marketing Profs. If you are writing anything to do with marketing, or even if you're interested in writing fiction or screenplays or anything, great book. Again, fantastic sense of humor. And she really gets to the meat of what good writing is, as opposed to, oh my gosh, some of the boring delve writing that we do, and especially PR people. Sorry, PR people. I'm one of you. I've written too many boring releases over my career. We'll get that AI intern in there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Martin. Well, thank you very much. Really enjoyed the time here with you and learning about machine learning and your love for donuts and fries. And uh, yeah, I'm going to check out that Naked Statistics book. I think that's going to be really interesting. Do you recommend audio or the physical book? I come from a writing background. I still like reading books. I don't mind e-readers, or but I, I like the print version personally. But depends on what you like. You know, the audio version, I bet, would be really fun as well. Again, hard to believe I'm saying fun in relation to statistics, but... It has the word naked in there. Yeah, that yeah, that does it. it that, what sells a book on a boring topic? Just add naked. Just add naked. All right, Martin. Well, hey, thanks everybody for your time and for another great episode of Marketing News Canada. Stay tuned for the next one. Thanks a lot, Martin. Thanks very much. Great talking to you, Ted. Bye, everybody. 
Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.